This is the Attack of the 20th Century. Thank you for joining us as we explore science fiction, fantasy, and horror films of the 20th century. I'm your host, Jeff. And I am your other host, Kim. Welcome to Episode 7, where we review The Omega Man from 1971. Look for us on Instagram and Facebook at Attack of the 20th Century. That's 20th. We post our next movie selection there. You can comment, give your thoughts, and they just might make it on the air. All right, so we are recording this on the day after Valentine's Day. That's right. And me and my honey, we went camping this weekend, or we tried anyway. <laughs> we attempted. <laughs> We tried to get out there. We went. Uh, we had one booked successful a spot night. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we booked a spot. We took our. We have a travel trailer that we invested in a few years ago, and uh, it's one of the things we've told you before that we like to do as a family. Uh, we like to go camping, but then we like to go just uh, sometimes as a couple, and then sometimes you go solo. <laughs> That's right. I very much love to camp by myself, <laughs> but I also love camping with you. Unfortunately, this one got cut a little short. Yeah. I think we were at the campsite, uh, you know, and we, if you have a travel trailer, you understand the work that gets uh, involved with this. Like, yeah. Well, tent campers deal with it, too. It's just different. You just shift your workload when you... That's true. When you, you know, if you're a tent camper versus a camper camper, mm. you just, you, you have different things that you have to pack. And it's work. Camping it's work. is work, is what I'm saying. No matter what yeah. kind of camping you're doing, there is work involved. But work yeah. that I love... But it is work. It is work. So you do all this pre-planning. You plan out your meals. You know, you get your clothes. You get your activities planned. You look at the weather. What's it going to do? Because it's kind of a right. schizophrenic time. Do with we the take weather. the kayaks? Do we not take the kayaks? Do we take the bikes? Do we not? Yeah, all yeah. that stuff. So we finally made all of our uh, plans. We packed everything up. We get to the campsite. <laughs> We unpack everything, and I did a masterful job of pa- of uh, parking that travel you trailer. You did, you did. That was a. Uh, I really doubted you in the moment. Not doubted that you could do it. Just doubted that it was the easiest way to get into that site. But you did it, and you did it well. <laughs> we backed it in. And it was perfect. Uh, but I think the moment after we unpacked everything, got settled, <laughs> we're sitting in a chair, we're sitting down, we're looking at each other like, all right, we're here. Vacation has started. Vacation has started. A, a Polaris pulls up with two large <laughs> gentlemen, and one of them declares that the water is out. To the whole, not even the whole campground, the entire county park, there's yeah. no water. No none water None of the at bathrooms all. work, none of the water fountains work, none of the water hookups at your campsites work. There's no water. Yeah. So, <laughs> our our three day two night ended up being a two day one night trip. <laughs> <laughs> we I think we were there a grand total of twenty four hours. Yes, maybe not even. We may not have been on that site twenty four hours. Yeah. But the good news is we still have the grandparents keeping the kids for another night. So what did we choose to do? We choose chose to come home and report record a podcast. We, so. Yeah. Yeah, we are committed to our audience. <laughs> All 20 of you, it's we thank you. not where I was going, but <laughs> all right, sure. But no, we had fun anyway. That one night was fun, and we, uh, you know, we're happy to be home too. The The kids are still with the grandparents, so. Which is to... across the pasture, so, yeah. you know. So, happy Valentine's Day to us and to all of you. We are podcasting instead of camping. Yay. <laughs> and what better Valentine than Charlton Heston in The Omega Man? Okay. <laughs> I mean, Charlton Heston, yes. I could see there being lots of Valentine's memes involving him. Maybe not involving Omega Man. Though he yeah. was pretty hot for Rosalind Cash in this. Movie, oh, yes. So. Yes. There's she didn't that. seem to mind him. No. It yeah. took, a, like, I don't know, five minutes of the movie, and then she fully converted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, like, totally distrustful, and then totally digging his chili. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um we always kind of like to talk about things that we've watched. We told you last time we started WandaVision, episodes yeah. one and two. We did episodes three and four. I think we still have five and six to catch up on. But uh, I like it. I mean, I'm really digging it. Um, yeah. They're, they have some real, I don't know, just real innovators, good yeah. genius behind Who's the behind Marvel machine. Who's behind WandaVision? I think it's just the whole Marvel machine is just... Wow. I mean, John Favreau is not coming in and taking credit for WandaVision, right? Like, no, I don't think okay, so. Okay, he's just behind Mandalorian. Okay, well, I mean, I'm cool with that if he is, because I, I think he's a genius. Maybe yeah, it was like silent genius this whole time. Yeah, but no, I'm digging, I'm digging WandaVision. I love that they're piecemealing us, just little 
tidbits. It's yeah. almost like it's like you're living Wanda's life watching mm-hmm. the episodes because you get sucked into this like cheery, you know, it was a 1950s, then a 1960s, now it's a 1970s where we left off. We're in the 1970s sitcom and you get sucked into this alternate reality of like, oh, they're going to have a yeah. baby. And this is so-. And there's like these silly hijinks you would see mm-hmm. in a sitcom from those eras. Yeah. And then you just get these little glimpses of, wait a minute, things are not what they seem. Yeah. You know? So I darkness. love that. I, I love that. And the uh, episode four, they flash f- forward to real life. Right now we're present day, and we're and so they they explain quite a bit. So that was uh, yeah, that was, was pretty kind cool. of a big unveiling in episode four, really. Yeah, but no, I, I'm enjoying it. I think uh, episode five, it looks like it's going to be like an '80s. Yeah, and uh, so that's that our childhood be fun. right there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> One division's fun. I mean, Disney Plus, they have some some good stuff, right? The Mandalorian. I think they're doing a bang-up job on a lot of things, yeah. yeah. I mean, we may all have Disney tattoos at some point because they may own everything, <laughs> but right now, I, I'm kind of digging what they're putting down, so. Yeah. Cool stuff. The Omega Man was released August 1st, 1971. It was directed by Boris Segal. Just a reminder, if you're new to us, we do talk about spoilers. After all, we talk movies. So if you haven't watched this movie yet, you might want to hit pause here, go watch it, come back and join us later. Okay, so the Omega Man, instead of reading you a synopsis from Wikipedia or Rotten Tomatoes this week, we're going to talk through the plot of this together. So basically, it's set in 1977, but we're two years post a biological warfare event kind of Mm -hmm. like nuclear and biological apocalypse has happened on Mm -hmm. earth right so charlton heston is our hero he plays dr robert neville basically whatever this biological warfare that's been released on the earth has wiped out the human race as we know it Mm -hmm. dr neville we open the movie not really knowing why is he here why why did he survive but as the movie goes on they reveal to us that he was working for the military this virus or whatever it was was attacking the whole of the earth pretty rapidly from the flashbacks we see and he was actually in a helicopter that was supposed to be flying his experimental vaccine somewhere to get it out there to the human race the helicopter pilot takes ill mm-hmm. instantly like chokes dies crashes the helicopter and right. charlton heston or dr robert neville miraculously survives crawls <laughs> over to his medicine bag uh, and gives himself the vaccine and mm-hmm. thus of course survives this entire plague yeah for now for now (laughs) exactly for now so he has survived and we're kind of introduced to him in the movie as like he's roaming around in whatever car he finds he kind of goes to the next car dealership when he blows a flat tire he Mm -hmm. goes and picks up a new car from a dealership that clearly is abandoned there's literally no one left on earth but him yeah so there's like dead bodies kind of everywhere. They're they're almost mm-hmm. mummified looking at this point two yeah, years later. Yeah, because it's been a couple years. And, yeah, yeah. And he does a lot of talking to them too. Like even when he's getting a new car, yeah. he, he talks to them like a car salesman. Right, right. I don't remember what he said. Something about like you drive a hard bargain. Or, yeah, you know, something yeah. along the whatever you would say at the car dealership. And he takes the keys and takes the next car and moves on. So you see him going through normal, like he's trying to survive in mm-hmm. a post- apocalyptic Los Angeles. Right. Kind of seemingly on his own, but very quickly we realize he's got to get back to where his house is, which I I think was his original maybe apartment house. I'm not sure what it was Mm -hmm. in LA um, that he's fortified and has kind of like, Obviously, if no one else on the earth is alive, there's no one running the electric plants. All of this is down, Mm -hmm. but he has a generator in his building. Right. And he goes around scouting gasoline and things and supplies during the day. And as long as he gets back to his apartment by or his house before nightfall, he's pretty okay. Pretty okay. Right. But at nightfall, the creepy guys come out. Yeah. They're called the family. The family. And they're not zombies. I don't think they're undead, but they're definitely plague affected. Yeah. But they didn't die from the plague. So they've gone through this weird, like their skin has gone like... Completely white. Completely white. Their Mm -hmm. irises of their eyes are completely white, so they can't handle any form of light. So they only come out at night. They have to sleep Mm -hmm. during the day. They can't handle sunlight. They can't handle artificial light. They can only handle firelight 
with sunglasses on and that now they've all like decided to wear basically they've turned themselves into a cult yeah so they're all wearing these black hooded robes and they don't like dr neville at all like he represents everything that existed before the plague hit the earth and so he's a bad guy Mm -hmm. and they've gone total uh is troglodyte the right word like i think so yeah yeah they totally are against anything um modern technology Uh, vaccines, medicine, science, they've gone totally backwards. Mm -hmm. And so they want to kill him, and he's basically living his days to survive, hide from them, protect himself from them, and he's kind of like searching for their headquarters. He doesn't know where they all live. Yeah, during the day, he goes out kind of uh, going through different stores, different uh, buildings, looking for their hive. So, you know, he's sporting a pretty cool machine gun and going around. And I think he, you know, the game plan is he finds the hive. He just mows them all down. I mean, I think that's the game plan. Right, right. We never, he doesn't talk about that much, but I guess that Mm -hmm. is his, that's his goal, right? Is to find these guys and obliterate them. And then I guess Mm -hmm. he really will be the only man on earth. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) He'll just live out his days. Exactly. So there is kind of this like background war between him and the Mm -hmm. non-zombies, the family, until one day he's out scouting his sources. You know, he's out looking for supplies amongst the ruin of Los Angeles and finds another woman, stumbles across another living, healthy human being. Mm -hmm. And the other thing we should mention about the non-zombies, we mentioned their skin is totally white, but they also have like lesions. They don't look healthy. No. They usually have sores or something. Most of their bodies are completely covered, but we can see their faces and they definitely have some sort of lesions or sores on yeah. their skin. They don't they don't look great. They don't look healthy. They look like they're decaying or something. Right. The skin. But he runs across Rosalind Cash, who plays mm-hmm. Lisa. Um, I think they're in a department store, it looks yeah. like. Yeah. She, she's she, faking to be a mannequin. Yeah, she's trying to pretend being a mannequin to avoid... Not she's doing probably, such a great job. No, not doing... Like She's like looking out of the corner of her eye and I'm like, don't move your eyes, you're a mannequin. <laughs> but, but it's funny because like he thinks he's the last person on Earth. Right. So he's looking at her kind of like, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? Yeah. And, and we did have a hint that he might be a little unhinged. Like He might be mm-hmm. losing his grip on reality a little earlier in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I think you're going to talk about mm-hmm. later. Right. So it kind of plays into that like wait a minute, am I, am I really, is that a real human or am Uh I making this up? You know? So then she takes off, he starts chasing her and he can't find her. No. So he just keeps going about his business. Right. Until he accidentally gets captured by the family. Family. Yeah. The non-zombies. I don't know if that, no, that wasn't their hive. Like he just went into a place where they happened to to be, I think. Yeah. Maybe they were tracking him, following him. I'm not sure. Because it was getting close to dark, right? Right, right. I'm not sure how that happened. So they they nabbed him, you know, the uh, Matthias. I don't think we've talked about Matthias, but he used to be like a a news reporter. Yeah. And, um. He's become head of the family. He's like, he's the one that's kind of the mouthpiece for he's the family. He's the Jim Jones of yeah, the family. <laughs> very Jim Jones-ish. Yeah. He basically starts preaching to Neville, telling him how basically all of this is his fault. You right. Know, because he represents everything that is bad and yeah. evil. He's the only normal human left, so he is mm-hmm. everything that they hate. And they know that he was a scientist. And, right. you know, so this germ warfare basically came from people like him, scientists. Right. And so they assign blame to him, and it's their mission to put him to death, I think. just to, Yeah, I think they were literally about to burn him at the stake or yeah. crucify him or something. They were at some sort of stadium or something. They had him on a like a cross-type apparatus, and they were going to they they were were kill him. him. Yeah. When he gets saved by Lisa and her friend, which I think we're calling Dutch. Dutch, yeah. So they come in and save him. Um, the whole time Lisa's interacting with him, she's very mistrustful. Yeah. Uh, holding a gun to him. And she's talking to him like he's trash. Like, yeah. Like she does not trust this guy at all. Yeah. There's quite yeah. a bit of friction, anger there. Right. So they save him, take him off to where their camp is, which is mostly comprised of children. Yeah. So we get out into the outer hills of LA, I guess, and come to find out they live in this little compound with yeah, they're kids and young teens is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So there are other surviving humans, but it's just this handful of this tiny pocket of youngsters and then Lisa and Dutch, who are obviously adults. Mm-hmm. Were there? Mm-hmm. I don't think there were any other adults, right? It was just no. Dutch and this handful of kids. That's right. And Lisa's brother, Richie, is there. He looks like he's probably, what, 14 or 15 maybe? Something like that. But he has been afflicted with the plague. And so he's in bed, fevered, mm-hmm. and he's... Not quite white like the non-zombies. 
But he's well on his way. But yeah, he his hair's starting to take on that white tinge, and his skin is starting to turn white, and even his irises of his eyes. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't really open his eyes much, but when they when Charlton Heston is a doctor, so he kind of like pries open his eyes like doctors do to look at mm-hmm. your eyeballs. Yeah. Um, and he uh, he definitely is like starting to change, and so they're really concerned. Like Lisa's worried he's about to go over to the other side. Mm-hmm. So Charlton Heston decides to take Richie back to his place and start giving him blood treatment. Yes. Since he's immune, he's thinking that his blood could serve as antibodies. Yes. And maybe, uh, you know, turn back basically the effects of this illness to turn him back to normal. He basically assumes that he can make a serum out of his own blood because he has the antibodies because he's vaccinated himself. Um, Mm -hmm. So he can make a serum to that could be a treatment for people who are already infected, Mm -hmm. but aren't too far gone with this zombie-like plague and so that's what they do they go back Uh, lisa goes with them very quickly lisa kind of flips the switch and suddenly is into chuck love with chuck heston (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's my warning to those of you who are going to watch this there is some uh full frontal nudity here (laughs) yeah the movie is rated pg there's Minimal cursing, and but there is some full frontal nudity, some glimpses here. So yeah, be warned. The the family comes out and they're terrorizing, you know, Charlton Heston and Lisa, and mm-hmm. they're calling to him. And then we find out that Lisa and Richie used to be part of the family, right? Early, early on, right? Lisa and Richie did not fit in, and they kind of had to escape one day when when the family because the family sleeps during the day because they can't mm-hmm. handle light. They escape. They stumble upon Dutch and these kids somewhere and take up with them. So now mm-hmm. uh, Chuck Heston's character, Dr. Neville, he's going to take them in. He's going to fix the serum. He's going to, mm-hmm. you know, basically bring, and he does, he, he heals Richie, his blood yeah. serum heals Richie. Richie comes back from the brink of becoming a, one of these zombie like creatures. Right. And so the plan is we're mm-hmm. going to gather all our surprise supplies. I'm going to make as much serum as I can out of my own blood right now without and Richie's you know, eventually. Yeah, and Richie's. Yeah, eventually. But but right now we're just working with Charlton Heston's blood because he's yeah. the healthy one, right? Right. Um, make as much as we can. Get Dutch, the kids, Lisa, Richie, and get out of here. We're going to move to the hills. We're going to mm-hmm. move to the countryside. Basically, we're going to kind of start the human race over again. Yeah. You know, like in paradise somewhere, like in the country, untouched right. by these weirdo family members, zombie people, mm-hmm. and by all this devastation that they're constantly seeing because nobody's there to clean up the mess, right? Yeah. Um, unfortunately that gets foiled because yeah. what we don't know is that Lisa is infected and she starts rapidly changing. Yeah. Um, and leads the hive or the family to Charlton Heston's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richie even turns on him and goes, I don't know. We'll get into this later, I think. But, but yeah, he appeals to the family saying, look, they healed me. Charlton Heston healed me. He can heal you. Right. He thinks so, he's going to go save the zombie people. Yeah. He wants to be, uh, you know, their savior and they end up killing him. Long story short, they just kill him. Yeah. Sad <laughs> point in the movie. They Very just, sad. This poor, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed teenager who's just come back from the brink of death, I guess. Yeah. Um, thinks... Yay, let's go help these guys. They need our help. And then they kill him him for his efforts. And they don't want help. They're they're convinced that their new way of life is what the future should hold. Yeah. And Charlton Heston basically comes home, right? And he is surrounded. Like they're in his house. They've ambushed his house. Yeah. So, yeah, basically he comes home expecting Lisa to be there for kind of their final night in the city. And the next morning they're going to leave super early, go get Dutch and the kids and move out to the country. Yeah. But unfortunately, Lisa is there with all of the members of the family. family. Yep. And so they attack him and basically capture him. There's a point where it looks like he's going to get away and he's going to take Lisa with them and maybe he can, and he's got the serum, right? Like they bash his apartment, say goodbye to all your precious stuff. And they just terrorize his apartment. Yeah. Destroy everything. And they're about to kill him, but he slips out with his, uh, his bottle of serum and Lisa. And we think he's going to make this great getaway and everything's going to be okay. And nope, Matthias, the cult leader, is up on his balcony. Picks up a spear. Grabs a spear and... With amazing aim. With amazing aim for a guy who looks half dead. (laughs) Yeah. Throws it down two or three stories and nails Charlton Heston in the chest with a spear. Yep. So I had never seen the movie in its entirety until the other day when you and I watched this. 
I used to watch on Saturday mornings uh, Dr. Paul Bearer. Yes. He was a Tampa Bay horror host, and on Saturdays they played creepy movies. Creature Feature. Creature Feature, yep. I used to watch that too, but I never ran across this movie somehow, or I don't remember. I'm pretty sure that's where I saw this, and I remember only the very ending. Okay. All these, you know, albino-looking folks, uh, just that ending scene you described where he chucks the spear, kills Charlton Heston. So, man, that's all you ever saw. That's, that's all I saw. That's yeah, that's rough. <laughs> so I kind of knew, and I, I think I'd been putting this one off. I'd seen Soylent Green. I really like Soylent Green, right? But I kind of like, well, I already know the ending of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of put it off. But then I said, well, you know, we're doing this. You know, we're doing this podcast now, and we have HBO Max. It's there. Let's let's go ahead and just do this right. one. Um, and then you and I had seen I Am Legend. Right. It's so, been years, though. It's been years. I can't remember if we saw that in the theater. Maybe it was a DVD rental or something. I don't remember. Did that come out in like 2007, seven, maybe? Yeah, 2007. Okay. okay. And I'd never seen Last Man on Earth with uh, Vincent Price, so that's also on our to-watch list. Right, right. But yeah, you'd never seen this movie either. Though. No, this is the first time I'd ever seen this. I have watched other Charlton Heston flicks, mm-hmm. so I was excited for that. Of course, Ben-Hur is a family favorite. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I have... we. You know, who doesn't hold Charlton Heston in high regard? Oh, yeah. You know, he's one of the greats. So. Yeah, Judah Ben-Hur. We're always quoting Judah Ben-Hur. Yes, or Solace Or somebody from Ben-Hur. Yes. Uh, of course, The Ten Commandments was a classic. I used yeah. to watch that when I was a kid. And then, um, you know, Soylent Green, like I mentioned. Right. And then... Uh, Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. Of That's course. a sci fi classic. I knew that when we had watched I Am Legend, that there were some older movies this was kind of based on, or, you know, but just mm-hmm. this had never come across my radar. So this was yeah. the first time for me. So, just a little background on this uh, all of this is based on the 1954 novel I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. And Matheson had done several episodes of The Twilight Zone, oh, including Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Oh. Which is like one of the big ones, right? Yeah, With, everybody uh, knows that one. William if you know Shatner. Twilight Zone, you know that one. Yeah. So he's done several of them. And I would say overall, this movie kind of feels like a Twilight Zone episode. Which yeah. is a, kind of a longer version of that. And uh, so their first film adaptation of that novel was The Last Man on Earth in 1964, starring Vincent Price. Okay. And then this one came out in 1971, The Omega Man. And then mm-hmm. the third one was really the first one that you and I saw. Right. I Am Legend with William Will Smith uh, released in 2007. Okay. That makes sense now. Uh, I will say, you know, we'll get into all of this, what we think. Um, but, you know, I definitely, I enjoyed this one more than I enjoyed I Am Legend with Will Smith. Yeah. Uh, I don't I, know. Honestly, it's been so... I've had two kids since 2007, so I don't really remember I Am Legend. Yeah, it's been a while. I think all those CGI zombies that move at the speed I, of light... Yeah, I was going to say, I do remember those zombies were like freaky fast, and I was like, wait, I thought zombies were brain dead. How in the heck... But I, I do feel like every zombie I've seen since then has that weird, uncanny, like Blair Witch movement, so... Yeah, they I could know. just move super fast. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense, I mean... Like we, this isn't a review of I Am Legend, but I didn't care for it. I, at some point, when you're surrounded by like I don't know a thousand zombies that move <laughs> way faster than you, they were like way stronger than you. Yeah, it's like how are you they not can't dead? Be killed because they're undead. So. Yeah, yeah, it really doesn't make sense to me. So this one, I felt more. Like the suspension of disbelief wasn't as tested right. as strongly as in. Well, and the, they the, they were uh, zombie like the bad guys in this movie, but they're not true zombies. Like they're mm-hmm. not out. They're not driven by this need to eat your brains. Like they're yeah. this. You know, they're sick. Basically, mm-hmm. they're sick humans. They're infected with this plague, and they've you know basically turned their affliction into a cult. Yeah. Yeah. In a new way. The, it was their way of coping. Yeah. Exactly. This is coping mechanisms. So let's get into high fives. Why don't you get us started? Okay. Well, this is something our listeners are probably sick of hearing me saying, but I do believe in the effectiveness of storytelling when we're talking about movies as the medium, um, when there's a lack of dialogue and the storytelling is still there. And this movie, again, proves that to be true. There's just not, there's not a huge cast for one. We're dealing most of the time with just Charlton Heston, 
Um, I mean, he is the last man alive, (laughs) the last healthy man alive anyhow. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at some point, of course, we add Lisa and Dutch and the kids. And the kids really almost have virtually no dialogue. We we don't see them much at all. Which is probably good. Yeah. um, You don't want to deal with child actors And there's even with the family, the hive of of undeads, they're not really undead, but the infected folks, Mm -hmm. they... They don't have a ton of dialogue. Matthias, the leader, and then kind of his right-hand guy, Zachary, they're kind of the only ones that have dialogue. Yeah. There's some weird, like, cult-like moments where the family is repeating things, kind of chanting things back to Matthias. Mm -hmm. Kind of that monotone chant. But the story is still there. It's very clear. You know exactly what's happening. You know exactly how the world came to be in the position it's in right now. Mm -hmm. So this whole, like, we didn't need a ton of explaining. No one's coming out and saying, and now... Now the earth is garbage and these guys are trying to make it on their own. Like, yeah, it's playing out in front of you and it's very easy to tell what's happening. So yeah. that that's a high five. If you can tell me a story visually without having to spell it out in the script, you're mm-hmm. doing a good job. Yeah, no, I agree. I liked it. Um, so my first high five, I would say, are the bad guys. Sure. Uh, I thought they looked cool. I thought they acted cool. Uh, they were <laughs> believable. You know, I, I like this idea of you know, people that aren't zombies, um, but that are, you know, they're the afflicted, they're sick, um, and they're, they've dealt with their physical ailments. Cause right. if you look, some are African Americans or some, some are white, you know, there's, uh, I think there's an Oriental, uh, gentleman in there as well, right. but they've all become one, you know, this thing is unified them all. around this illness. Yeah. Yeah. So they've all unified, but also physically they look all alike. That's true. There's almost a lack of ethnicity because of their affliction. Yeah. And you think of like today, especially, you know, there's, there's so much of this, um, you know, I identify as this or identify as that. Well, you lose all of that with this illness. Yeah. Everyone looks the same virtually, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. You know, I think the way they handled that, I thought was kind of a cool thing. You know, this whole like, well, you know, we're going to unify and we're going to blame technology. We're going to blame science. Mm -hmm. We're going to play, blame the modern thinkers. Right. And we're going to do our own thing. And I just thought they looked cool. You know, they, um, you know, they wear those shades. They wear those dark robes. Right. they look like bad Which people. further be- covers their identity as, you know, any of their um, significant character, physical characteristics are covered. Yeah. Even though they've already turned ash white and, you know, their hair and their eyes and everything. Mm-hmm. They're, then they're going a step further and covering themselves with these like hooded robes and dark sunglasses. Yeah. I mean, they all just look like monks or yeah. something. I don't know. You know, once we introduce some of these other characters that are not immune it made me worried for them being exposed to these guys, right? Right, right. Just think about like when you're out and about today and somebody starts coughing and they keep <laughs> oh, coughing. Man. And you're like, oh crap, you know, COVID. I'm going to get COVID. Like, <laughs> right. stay away from it. What are you doing out, buddy? You yeah, know, go home. Go that home. Cough. Get out of here. Uh, well, this is like 80 times worse. Right. right. <laughs> you know, they, like you said, they have open wounds on their face, kind right. of like blood coming out of them. And- yeah, they're. They're, I mean, they do not look healthy. Yeah, it's like, I don't want one of these guys handling me, you right. know? Right. I don't want to get this terrible disease. So, but anyway, I thought they were really effective. I thought they looked cool. Uh, I liked their concept of, like, they just weren't like, oh, I want to eat your brains. No, you know, they zomb- weren't dumb, brainless zombies. Like, they had... I think that's what makes them believable. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were left in a post-apocalyptic world, and basically no one else is there except for you handful of sickos that... You know, you're all struggling. I mean, I don't, we don't really get into, and the movie never clarifies, like, are they in pain all day? Like, right. obviously they can't handle light at all because their irises have bleached out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're, and they must not be able to, I don't know, they're, I'm assuming their pupils don't dilate or undilate anymore because mm-hmm. they're terrified of being in the light. Yeah. Um, so it's a coping strategy and that is something relatable to all humans when you you know like that's why we have survival groups for widowed spouses and mm-hmm. we have cancer survivor groups because people need like a common ground to relate on especially when you've gone through a trauma of like a serious illness or a loss mm-hmm. like people rally around these traumatic events in their lives and mm-hmm. they create their own ethic and their in their own you know basically i don't know motto to live forward in the rest of their lives. And that, that's what these guys have done. And I think yeah. that's totally relatable to 
modern, not just modern day life, but human existence. It's yeah. very relatable. Yeah. It's very relatable. I think it, you know, it sold the story. It helped tell the story in a way that you like, you got sucked in. Yes, exactly. It makes sense. It makes, makes sense. sense. Um, so my high five, uh, besides the lack of dialogue with the effective storytelling, which I'm going to come back to that in my low points too, because there's mm-hmm. a flip side of that coin, but on to my second high five is really uh, just the relevance, which mm-hmm. I think ties into what I was just saying about how this makes sense for these um, afflicted, almost non-zombie humans or zombie-like humans to have the ethic and the coping strategy they're moving forward with. The Just the relevance of this movie, I think, what'd you say? It was made in 1971. Right, that's it, it was It was based in 1977, but holy cow, like the whole time <laughs> I'm watching this movie, I was like, this could have been made in 2020. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's so many parallels to the COVID era, right? Yeah. Like it's just so on par with what we're going through. Even the serum that he makes mm-hmm. to help revive Lisa's brother, Richie, and then that's eventually going to inoculate this group of kids that will be, you know, basically like Noah's family after the flood, right? Like right. these kids will be the next generation of humans that repopulate the planet i'm assuming yeah yeah um so he makes i think we what do we call that convalescent plasma is Mm -hmm. what they call it now so Mm -hmm. we've taken you know those of us that have been exposed to covid maybe in some way or whatever if you have the antibodies in your blood we can extract that now you know basically take the plasma out of your blood and they actually like modern day right now 2021 if you're in the hospital fighting covid they can give you this convalescent plasma to help boost your immune response to COVID, mm. right? Right. Well, that's exactly what Charlton Heston is doing yeah. in 1977 to fight this zombie plague. You yeah. Know? So I don't know. I just found it so relevant um, and so relatable to what we're dealing with now. Yeah. And even just the whole, I mean, we won't get into this because I know it can be very divisive, but just that whole us against them. There's the non-COVID people and the COVID people. And yeah. like, I think you could take this in a million directions. Oh yeah, with the what maskers versus the non-maskers. Right, and- like there's just so much of that strife that we've yeah. seen play out over and over and over again in, yeah. in 2020 and 2021. So yeah. our, the relevance, I mean, this movie... Again, there's a flip side to this coin too, but I, there's so much relevance that applies. Oh, yeah. From 1971 to 2021. Well, in 1971, they had never really had a sickness like COVID that really affected the entire world that I know of. I know in. Well, it was the in, Spanish flu, but that was 1918. So nobody right. alive in 1971 is, yeah. has any recollection of that. Right. right. I mean, in all of my lifetime, these things were always just science fiction, right? Right, exactly. And then for it to actually see unfold in 2020, where we shut down all of our nations, you know, right, and right. for a while there, there was like a 4% death rate. And, you know, that was before it came to the United States. I think it went down significantly. Once. Right. There, you know, so that was like pretty scary stuff. And you, so it was actually more relatable seeing it post-COVID Right. I'm sure, like, then if we had seen this a few years ago, yeah. pre-COVID. If we were alive in, like, what, 1600s and the plague was happening, sure, there would be relevance for this. If we had lived <laughs> through the 1918 Spanish flu, right. we'd be like, yeah, we get you, Charlton Heston. But if we'd just watched this, like, three years ago, or like we did when we were, you know, you saw it when you were a kid, it's like, mm. okay, this is a science fiction idea, but we'd never seen anything like this yeah. We didn't have any concept that this could really happen. Right. You know, which thank God it hasn't happened on the scale that it happened in the movie. Mm-hmm. But man, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. There. And just to piggyback my next high five, I really loved the tension and the uneasiness it made me feel. Oh, yeah. So even though like I look back, I don't necessarily care too much about any of these characters, like looking back now, you right. know. Uh, but during the movie, I felt all this tension and uneasiness, like any time that he went into uh, a building looking for the hive and going around dark mm-hmm. corners. And I just felt that in, you know, like in your gut, kind of like, ooh, uh, like I'm a little yeah. nervous right now. And I'm because f- I'm putting myself in his spot. You know, right, what right. if that were me? I mean, the buildup and the mood were on point in this movie. You really felt that anxiety of, like, he's alone in the world. And the only living things that he knows exist are out to do him in. Yeah. Like, man, that's tough. Yeah. You know, but you really feel that through the whole movie. Like, it's an us against them. Like, you want this guy to survive. Yeah. And there's, like, so when he was alone in his apartment, 
and there's all these people out there chucking fire at his place. Right. Like, I'm worried for him at that point. Yeah. Like, how the heck is it, you know, what's he going to do now? And then they show, like, well, he's got a long-range rifle or something. He's able to pick yeah. some people off. And Our prepper and firearm friends are going to blast us on this. But I know there's a <laughs> lot of people out there that are big into whatever gun he uses. Yeah. Most. I think he has a lot of weapons in the movie, but sure. um, the gun he uses the most, I, I've seen lots uh-huh. of hits on the internet where like people have talked about that gun a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Sorry, know. Sorry, we're he... not buffs on that sort of thing. So. No, I mean, he definitely had a scoped rifle when he was picking off whoever was shooting fire at him. Right. He had forgotten to put a fuel in his generator and he's like, oh no, they're, they're going to be down there in the basement or whatever he said. Right. In the garage area. So he goes down and Lisa's up there by herself. And then you see the kind of the right hand man of Matthias yeah, working Zachary, his way up. I think Zachary, his name. yeah. He's working his way up. You had all this tension. I kept waiting Oof. for him to come through that window. Right. And they subvert our expectations by like, you don't see him come through the window. No, no. You're waiting for that jump scare. You're yeah. really like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then. And at the same time, somebody's coming up the elevator and she's looking at it and you don't know. You don't know if it's going to be like somebody that uh, Charlton Heston's injured who's coming in, you know, right. kind of half dead going to get her. Uh, or if it's him, and then he comes in, and then obviously that's when you see uh, Zachary come through the window, and he right. shoots him down. But like, there's just all this tension, and I'm just feeling like kind of like, oh man, what's going to happen? Or like when little Richie goes down to uh, to the hive to confront all these people. Right. I didn't really even like Richie, but I felt super nervous <laughs> hey. for Richie. <laughs> yeah, I was nervous for Richie, and Richie ended badly. So we had yeah. we had good reason to be nervous for Richie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that did not end well for him. But I was annoyed with Richie too. Like, come yeah. on, dude. Like, why? Yeah. Just why? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think it, I give it a high five for the way it made me feel. You know, you should feel kind of on the edge yeah, of your seat. Yeah, the mood was very effective. Yeah. yeah, very effective in this movie. So now we get into low points, and I'll get us started on this. Okay. Uh, for me, what took me out of the movie quite a few times, and I know it did for you too, because mm-hmm. we we I think we laughed a couple times. Yeah, was the music. It felt so 1970s. Like, it was like stereotypical 1970s. Yeah, like almost a caricature of the 1970s. Yeah. Like, it was, it was tough to listen to. The yeah. music was rough. I, I mean, at one point I commented, I was like, are we watching a Chips episode? Yeah. Like, what is happening right now? And, you know, so we don't talk, we're not going to talk too much about the director, but he had mostly done TV. Okay. And, you did know, did he direct the, Chips? And I don't think he, I don't know if he did Chips, but. Uh, you know, it felt like something like uh, the Rockford Files or the Love Boat. Yeah, or, the Love Boat. Definitely. You know, this big horn section, and just it just felt very but a lot of synthesizers, synthesizer and horns, like yeah. these stupid hits. You know, um, they didn't really go with no. what you were watching. Like there was such a great buildup of the mood, like we were talking about, and then you'd mm-hmm. have this horrific music just blast on its way through, and you're like, yeah. "What? What's happening right now?" Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, and you know, there's other movies that do this well, right, with music. Um, I remember watching the Star Wars documentary. They talk about this. George Lucas was pressured to use modern music oh, because I that's see. what all the hip kids were into. You know, they wanted to hear. <laughs> they wanted to hear modern see his music. Air quotes when he just said that. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but he didn't didn't want to do that. He wanted to use a full orchestra, which was unusual for the time. What if the 1977 Star Wars had been made with disco music? Oh man, what a different movie that would yeah. movie series that would be. Yeah, it, oof. And so I just think of this movie. This movie, like I don't know if George Lucas uh, learned this lesson or just that he had in his head. I want, uh, you know, I want orchestral music. Uh, but this mu- movie suffers from having modern music uh, in their movie, and it just watching it several years yeah. later, I don't know. It just felt cheesy. That that music in general just feels well, kind of like painting yourself in a corner, right? Yeah. Like you're stuck. You're definitely cutting into your timeless timelessness. I don't know if that's a word, mm. but we're gonna make it. We're gonna call it a word. Like I, I think this movie would have an even more timeless appeal yeah. and relevance if there had been a higher quality soundtrack. Yeah. An orchestral soundtrack would have been fantastic. Yeah, it's very, like, I don't know, it's like a bad 70s joke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if you were to see a spoof... The music is. If you were to see a spoof of the 70s, you would hear this kind of music music. play. Yeah, exactly. It sounds cheesy in 2021. Yeah, like if Will Ferrell's gonna do, you know, 
I don't know, some comedy sketch based in the 70s, he's going to use this music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, don't get us wrong. Like, 70s music, like, if you have rock and roll, like, that could have worked, right? Like, you yeah, look at, sure. like, Thor Ragnarok, they have the immigrant song pumping out. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And that was so awesome. But that's not what we're hearing in this no. movie. But you that just, was an epic song, and this yeah. is, like, comedies yeah. or something. I don't know. It took me out of it, the movie a few times when, yeah. all right... This sounds kind of stupid. Like it broke the scene. It broke the scene. It did. And Ron Grainer did the soundtrack, who did the infamous Doctor Who theme. Oh my gosh. We're big Doctor Who fans. I think that used to be a ringtone on my phone. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So he's capable, but you know, he did this 10 years before he died. He scored this movie at 48 years old. He died at 58. Oh, man. Uh, so I don't know. I think he may have been pressured in, hey, score this. You know, probably he probably yeah. caved to whatever they, the studio exec said. I'm making this up. I don't right. really know. But, like, make it modern. Make it sound cool. I was cool. going to say, maybe because this has such a sci-fi theme to it, do you think they tried to go for the most modern thing they could do? Like, maybe. But not space-agey sounding, because it's not a space sci-fi thing. It's, no. it's clearly a different vibe. So maybe they were going for some sort of modernity Mm-hmm. with the music but that's a problem you've got to think about like 1970s music is not going to be modern music for forever right <laughs> you know yeah it works when you're in the 1970s mm-hmm. but once you get beyond that you don't even know what's coming yeah yeah i just think of <laughs> so uh paul rothschild was a producer of the band the doors uh-huh and he would always warn the band members and his sound engineers don't use whatever's the new hippest thing right because you're going to date your music exactly try to stay with things that are you know somewhat uh timeless and so he did all of their albums except for the last album and so the the last album of theirs was la woman and they have a few songs that have like the wah-wah pedal. Okay. Now, I know the wah-wah has kind of gone out of vogue and come back into vogue. Sure. But it definitely dates your music if you hear wah-wah from right. something, uh, you know, in the early 70s. And- right. I mean, that's what happens with fads, right? They come yeah. and go. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to say my biggest low point um, is the, I guess it's my biggest low point, the overacting. Okay, so let's go back. Like, we all have, you know, tender feelings towards Charlton Heston. He's one of the greats, right? But I see Charlton Heston really, even though he's a movie actor, he comes across as a stage actor in everything yeah. he does. He does, he is a big actor. Like, yeah. his his emotions, his movements, his facial expressions, his words, he acts like a stage actor. So yeah. I expect that of him. And, and we saw that in this movie, and it was fine, but... I don't know, and I really wish I knew more about his co-star, Rosalind Cash, Lisa, that comes in, you know, almost midway through the movie, because I felt like his big acting style kind of got pushed onto her, but then the writing was not great for her. So again, there's great reason for there being little dialogue here, because I don't Mm -hmm. think the writing, if we've had a lot of dialogue, that writing really would have just blown itself up, because they really almost made a caricature of her as a 1970s African-American woman. Yeah. I would love to hear, um, you know, an African-American film critic school me on this, like help me understand because I just feel like they almost made a cartoon of her. Yeah. Now she mellowed out as the movie went on. It, It was when she was playing the tough guy part. When she first meets Dr. Neville, Like, there's just this, like, she's, and of course, she's being brave, and she's trying to be tough and strong, and I think we're supposed to get the picture that she grew up on the streets of Harlem, and somehow has ended up out in L.A. now. Right. Post-apocalypse, you know, whatever. Uh, But it just comes across as too much. Like, it's just too big, too grandiose, and almost silly. Yeah. So I hate that for her, because I do think her character kind of comes around and rounds out later, but that kind of opening scene with her... And now, not her very first scene where she's trying to fake like she's a mannequin and yeah. psych out Charlton Heston. Like that was great. But then mm-hmm. when we first get dialogue from her, it's just a little too silly. Yeah, really. It's- yeah, it, it really takes you out of the moment too. Like I think I was disappointed when I'm hearing her talk. Right, right. Because I felt it was like, like you're it watching was... an airplane or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know. So the screenplay was by John and Joyce Corrington, and I don't know if they grew up in Harlem. I kind of doubt they did. Right. But it was like, all right we got to write this African-American actress. We need to write this character that grew up in Harlem and she needs to sound street smart. And this right. is what all the kids are saying now. This is how they talk. 
and you know if you want to sound like a thug this is how you you know an african-american thug sounds like in early 70s yeah it's, it, i mean it's almost like the music right like they yeah. just painted themselves into a corner there and it's like uh really it just sounded a little too much just too i was over the top it was over the top and yeah. i question like do they, you know, did people really talk like that back then? Or was that just, you know, stuff that was a stereotype that we just gimmick. made up? A yeah. gimmick that we just like threw on the screen. All right. Well, I think this will appeal to right. young people today. So we'll get these people talking right. like the, the young people today. And it's like your nerdy dad wrote the script or something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is what the hip kids are saying. Yeah. No, I agree. I felt like the the dialogue it was good that we had low dialogue because the dialogue we did get was kind of like stereotypical i will say charlton heston's writing was fine like his little Mm -hmm. one-liners when he's by himself and talking to himself or like you know he crashes the car and he's like there's never a cop when you need one yeah yeah haha funny because he's like the last man on earth right you know um but even you know, even though we expect kind of big overacting from Charlton Heston, even some of his stuff was just a little too much. You yeah. know, you know, I think back the older actors. Uh, John Wayne is another one I oh, think sure, of. Oh sure, yeah. They kind of are themselves in every movie. Cary Grant's another one. He's really cool. I love him. He's kind of the same guy in every movie. Very true. You know, so that we can kind of expect and excuse. Like, well, we're getting Charlton Heston. This is just kind of how he is. Sure, sure. And we love him. So we kind of, he gets a pass. Sure. So these new characters that are younger, you know, you really want them kind of hold their own maybe bring yeah. something new but they you know it just kind of falls flat with the the flat dialogue right right yeah which that brings me to my second low point is the dialogue so yeah. yes it was great that there was minimal dialogue so it let the story the visual aspects of the story tell itself which was very well done but again the dialogue yeah <laughs> like it was just uh yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. That's no, <laughs> no, the screenplay wasn't great. I mean, they had great source material. They tried to make it cool and hip. I keep using hip because I think I, of like 60s and 70s. That's how I think of a big uh, executive producer saying, we need things that are cool and hip. You yeah. know, appeal to the youngsters of today. We got to make some money. Uh, wow, we're such dorks. We are dorks. <laughs> they probably nobody ever talked that way. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, that um, that leads me to my second low point, and it's kind of a multi-tiered low point. Some things just don't make sense in this movie. Uh, so early on, you know, Charlton Heston, and this is in the trailer too. Oh they, yeah, where he hears all these payphones ringing, one mm-hmm. right after another, after another, and you're like, well, who can be calling? You know, exactly. there's nobody here, and he 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 screams, stop ringing or something like that yeah he's like there's no phone ringing or something yeah and this indicates early on that he's struggling with his sanity you know he's going a little bit crazy right as you would if you were the last you know normal person on earth and uh but that theme is dropped really fast yeah they did drop it i mean pretty much the rest of the movie i don't think of him as crazy at all i don't think he's struggling at all he always seems like He's the guy that's in control. Like, yeah, you always trust Charlton Heston in his roles, right? Like yeah. he is like cool, calm, level-headed. Like mm-hmm. he's the man with the plan. And that's we went right from like he had this one little psychotic break where he thought all the payphones were ringing. Um, and if you're younger than we are, you'll have to Google payphones. Yeah, sorry. Um, so that one little episode, which makes sense. If you are the last normal human left on earth, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you be going a little crazy? I mean, this is two years in, Yeah, you're surrounded by corpses everywhere. You're talking to a bust of Julius Caesar in your house because (laughs) that's who you have to talk to. Right. Um, I mean, it makes sense to have that kind of like towing the line of, am I sane? Am I not sane? Yeah. Is this just how life is now? But then, yeah, they do the whole phone episode and then it's gone. Like, we're back to, like, Charlton Heston is the man in charge. He's got the plan. He's going to make it work out. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I don't know what happened to that. That didn't really make sense to me. Like, why even have that scene? Like, it was cool for the trailer, but to leave it in the movie, it didn't really make sense to me. Yeah, Um, You know, another thing that didn't make sense to me, so Richie, Lisa's little brother, Mm -hmm. uh, he gets nursed back to life, uh, you know, from this terrible, you know, life-ending disease. Um you know, by, by Charlton Heston and all of Richie's exposure to Charlton Heston is good and positive. I mean, Charlton Heston is always very nice to him and he's nice to Lisa, his sister. And when he's fully, uh, you know, revived, 
there's they have this conversation where Richie says to him, "Sometimes you scare me more than Matthias," and I was like, "What are you talking about, dude? I mean, this, this guy just saved your life. He saved your life. He's been nothing but like nice, big brother, or even parental type figure yeah. to you. Uh, he's done nothing like at, Matthias at that point." Like Richie has not even been privy to any kind of fighting with Matthias and his the family, right? Yeah. Like Richie, nothing has happened in Richie's sight or the it, to Richie's knowledge because he's just gotten out of his bedridden state, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's never even seen Charlton Heston fight the zombie like yeah. people. So where what is this based on? Yeah, it's yeah it, that just didn't make sense to me. It's like, all right, well that would make sense if Charlton Heston. If they'd stuck, even if they'd stuck with this whole thing that he was struggling with his sanity. Right. Maybe have an episode in front of Richie where he's like smashes things or... Right, where Richie's like, okay, this guy might be a little more unhinged than I thought he was. Yeah, but it wasn't. No, we never have any of that. So I don't know if there were deleted scenes that would have explained that more. Maybe. Um, But that didn't Hmm. really make any sense to me. And it kind of made me resent Richie a little bit because I was like, I put myself in Chuck's shoes and I was like... You know, you know what I've gone through to nurse you back to exactly. life. Exactly, like Chuck's <laughs> literally been there, like sticking himself in the arm and sucking all of his own blood out to make this serum for this kid, right? This yeah. kid who he just met his sister like a day before. Yeah, but no, no respect, no gratitude. Anyway, we'll we'll go through some of our actors here. So Charlton Heston, we've talked quite a bit about Charlton Heston. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't talked too much about the guy that plays Matthias, Anthony Zerbe. Zerbe? I don't know how you Your say that. Your guess is as good as mine. His face was very familiar to me. He was in, uh, I think, License to Kill. He was a villain in oh, a James okay. Bond movie. And he has this scene in <laughs> James Bond where his head like implodes or explodes Ugh. due to pressure. It was kind of a comical special effect from a James Bond flick. But Oh, wow. That's how I associate <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, you know, like I said before, I really like these bad guys, and him as the mouthpiece, uh, Matthias, I, I thought he was cool, you know. He did a good job as that character, that kind of cult-like, creepy leader. Yeah. Very believable. Yeah, I mean, even we talked about um, earlier before this, we talked about how people who um, just want to win, they want to be in control... They want to dominate. Right. They'll bend their own rules. Exactly. So, you know, you look at like, they started using a handgun there, you know, when uh, Zachary yeah. went in, his right hand man went in to try to kill um, Charleston Heston. He used a handgun. That's right. He took a handgun with him. And we know we both noticed that. We're like, wait mm. a minute. You're not supposed to be using guns. You guys yeah. are done with anything that resembles the modern world. And a yeah. handgun definitely comes from the modern world. Yeah. But you're right. Like they're willing to bend their own, no honor among thieves, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, he wants to be in, in control. Justifies the means. Yeah, he's not a stereotype of a cult leader, like just spewing, you know, like religious ranting, rantings, or anything like no. that. Well, I think he realizes too. Like, if Charlton Heston really does figure out this whole serum thing, like Matthias loses all of his control and his power. Like, as long as Charlton Heston's character is alive, there's a chance Matthias just becomes another plague victim and mm-hmm. loses the following of all of these other plague victims. Yeah. Because Charlton Heston has the antidote. Yeah. You know, whereas Matthias, he just has right now force of character. Yeah. Sway people. These people are desperate and looking for how to survive in this terrible circumstance. And, you know, you tend to fall for a charismatic leader regardless of what their intentions are when you're that desperate. Yeah. You know. And having been a newscaster before, you know, he, he was obviously good with words. Right. He was polished. Had a personality that drew people in. Yeah. Right. And maybe they knew him from before or not. You know, I don't oh, know. Oh, that's true. They may have some sort of connection with him because they of, would have seen him on the news. Yeah, yeah. kind of a celebrity. Like, like, oh, like, this is the guy we need <laughs> to follow. Yeah, I, I, you know, I felt like he did great. Now, Rosalind Cash, like we said before, I wish she had had more, um, more to do in this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, there were definitely glimpses of great potential there, but I think the the poor dialogue kind of wrecked her I know, ability. to I really like. Her, I think her across. acting came across really well. I wish mm-hmm. the dialogue would have been better for her. Yeah, that was yeah. rough. The guy that played Dutch, Paul Coslow, I didn't recognize him from anything else. No, I don't um, know him. 
He was all right, right? We see very little of him, and he seems like if anybody's going to... He kind of had youth leader energy, you know? Yeah. Like youth pastor energy. Like if anybody's going to... Except, wait, wait, except for the fact that he does wear a leather jacket that has a giant hand flicking a bird on the back of it the yeah. whole time. So youth pastors out there, don't come at me. That That's where he crosses the line. Not youth right. pastor energy. But the rest of the time, he's kind of that like fun... He kind of just has that like fun, up for anything attitude. Uh-huh. So of course... He'd be in charge of this group of ragtag kids that are gonna, right. you know, I don't know, repopulate the earth or yeah. whatever. Like he he's definitely pretty has smart that. too, though, right? Like yeah, he was he gonna was be sharp. a medical student and that's uh, right. He knew who Dr. Neville was because he was in med school when the plague happened. And so mm-hmm. he'd studied his other works and his other papers and, and journal entries and things that had been published. Yeah. So um yeah, so I I, I think he was a pretty sharp guy, but he uh-huh. had that kind of fun if I don't know, if you know the Enneagram, maybe probably a seven on the Enneagram. Yeah. Like He's always up for the next challenge. Right. With yeah. a good attitude, you know. It's just kind of crazy that he's going to be the leader of the free world. Yeah, that's pretty insane. <laughs> <laughs> with this big... With this giant... Middle finger Middle uh, finger jacket. on the back of his leather eh, jacket. All right. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and Richie. You know, Richie's kind of a child actor, teenager. Uh, like I said, his, his character didn't make a lot of sense to me, the, the, the interactions that he had. Uh, with the others, so I didn't love that character, and I didn't love the acting in that. But um, no, I'd be interested. Were there deleted scenes, Maybe or there are. were there several revisions of the script? Because there's something else that happened in this movie that um, that I picked up on. Right, so this little girl asks uh, Charlton Heston, "Are you God?" Oh yeah. And then then during the movie like it's Charlton Heston's blood that saves people. True. Like it's through his blood that they are saved. And then at the end when he is killed, he's in that Christ-like pose. And the he movie really ends is. with him in that Christ-like pose. He's kind of stuck in that fountain kind of hanging over the I don't know the middle statuary of the fountain. Yeah. And I noticed like even when the little girl asks him, "Are you God?" he doesn't laugh it off and he doesn't say, "Of course I'm not God." What are you talking right. About. Right, right. He has this like disturbed look on his face where he's like actually thinking about it a little huh. bit. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. But I, I wondered like, is there more to this story that they cut or that, you know, it's an early revision of the script where he does act a little scary, where he's a little more like Matthias. And then some of that other right. dialogue we talked about would make more sense. They were trying to make him more like a godlike character. That's interesting. I would love to know that it doesn't seem to be, a, there doesn't seem to be a ton of extra information out there no. in this movie. We looked for documentary materials. We looked for interviews. Yeah. There's just not a lot about not this lot. flick. We try to look up whatever that weapon is that Matthias's group uses to sling, like, flaming, oh, yeah. I don't know, something. Yeah. We don't know if it's a trebuchet, if it's catapult. <laughs> it's different. It's made out of wood. I don't know. We're going to have to get our older son to look at it. He's kind yeah. of our weapons expert, so... Yeah, I mean that kind of takes us to our special effects. Um, you yeah, know, let's talk special effects. The practical effects. I mean, so the one documentary we did find out there on you was on YouTube. It was like ten minutes long, yeah. and they actually built. We'll call it a trebuchet, but they actually built this thing and were yeah. hurling, uh, you know, balls of fire at a building for real. So like what you're seeing, it really happened. Yeah, I like that. And That's I thought cool. that was cool. You know? That is cool. That giant machine looked awesome. And we talked about it too, the stunts. You know, like there's people that are on fire that are jumping off right, cars. Right, they're actual stuntmen. This is not CGI. Like yeah. there's people actually doing the stunts, which is, it's impressive. Yeah. All the stunts I thought were really cool. I mean, you just can't beat that. Like no. you just can't beat a car slamming up on a curb, hitting something, right. water f- shooting up or, you know, whatever. Like that's like real life. That really happened. Yeah, they made it happen and they filmed it. And exactly, there's it no substitute the movie. For that. It grounds the movie because you don't get yanked out of a scene with bad effects. You know? Yeah. So now we get to the point where we say yay or nay. So what say ye, Kim? Oh, wow. Put me on the spot first. Well, I'm going to say yay. This definitely is not a movie like I would scroll through, you know, Amazon Prime or Netflix and be like, I want to watch that. <laughs> but I'm glad I did. And I, and I think um, probably the biggest thing is that it's relevance to 2020, 2021 with the COVID mm-hmm. era. Like there was such 
interesting tie-ins there that really kind of held my attention. Um, and I'm going to put on my like mom slash homeschooler hat for a minute uh-huh. and, and say that I think this is something I encourage, you know, my students and my own kids more reading literature, analyzing, you know, a piece of art, whether it be theater or movie or whatever. Um, is there truth, goodness, or beauty here? And I think there is, I think there's a little bit of each of those things in this movie. Um, yeah, it ends on a downer. It's rough that we lose Charlton Heston, but Dr. Mm-hmm. Neville dies in a sacrificial manner. And I know you kind of hit on that with like, yeah. is he a godlike character in this movie? Maybe that was the director's intention. Maybe it wasn't. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. And I, of course we haven't read the novel, so I don't yeah. even know where the original novel went with that. Um, but there's definitely, you know, that, that sacrificial element doing, even though it cost him his life, he's doing mm-hmm. what needs to be done to help the human race continue on. You know, yeah. that whole uh, makes always makes me think of the uh, Jurassic Park line, you know, life always finds a way. Yeah. That kind of thing. But you got to so, say it like jo- Jeff Goldblum says. Oh, well, I don't think I can do a Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at accents anyhow, and impersonations. Um, so he's able, even though he dies, he's able to pass on that serum. Dutch stops by with the Jeep full of kids and he grabs a serum, you know, and grabs Lisa, who probably can still be saved at this point, mm-hmm. and they ride off into the sunset. So I, I, I do think there's so much of that um, goodness there that redeems this movie. Like, even with its wonky dialogue and some yeah. some weirdness, you know, with the music, not a lot of weirdness with the music in there. <laughs> there there's, there's some real redeeming qualities to the story here. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to give it a yay. It's way out of a genre that I would normally pick. <laughs> but it gets a yay from me. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yay for me. You know, I, I couldn't help but to wonder, because they had spent the night together, mm. you know, was she pregnant? You know, Oh, that's a thought. Is there a little inoculated baby in her stomach? <laughs> Maybe that, so. Uh, that's going to be immune, and then the serum's going to go on, you know, they're going to, the earth... Um, you know, the human race is going to continue. The earth's going to get repopulated. And I love what if questions anyway. I'm yes, always asking do. the family, what if this happened? Or what if that happened? Or would, would you, you rather, rather this? Yeah. Would you rather that? Or, you know, this this movie takes me to a place like, what if, let's just pretend like we'll call it COVID. <laughs> what if COVID turned a group of us into zombies? You know, not <laughs> zombies, but whatever you want to call them. Some like, afflicted some population. Affli- yeah. Right. And then you are the last person on earth. And this movie does a great job of making that, you know, like giving a representation of what could happen. Right, right. And a lot of it was believable. Like, I could see these things really happening. Well, yeah, exactly. And you hit on that earlier. I think had we watched this prior to 2020, it would have been a sci-fi movie. But man, there's so much reality in this sci-fi movie now Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't have been exposed to prior to 2020. Yeah. That uh, it's, it's, I think it's going to hold its own for many years to come. Right. And I, I think too, this movie has something special. And I talked about the bad guys earlier a little bit, but the, you know, the zombies are kind of overplayed the today, right? Oh man. They're and bad. you know, they just kind of stumble around and they want to get you. They want to kill you. They want to eat you. And you know, these aren't, these guys aren't like that. No. And then you have other bad guys that they just want to dominate the world. They want to exploit, you know, uh, mankind. They, you know, they want to live for their own desires, their own right. uh, fleshly, you know, wants. And these guys aren't that either. You know, right. so they're kind of the special thing, you know. Yeah. And they're uh, they're the family and they definitely have cult-like um you know, attributes, mm-hmm. but they're not out trying to save souls either. They're not trying to recruit people. No, um, no, they're just trying to survive, really. To, right? I mean, I can't think of, they didn't try to recruit anybody, right? I no, mean, no, it didn't seem that way. I mean, there wasn't anybody to recruit. <laughs> either yeah. you had the plague or you didn't. Yeah. And so, I mean, to me, it was refreshing. Like, well, these guys are different. You know, just seeing that no, alone, very, I thought it was, yeah. was cool, you know? I would and, say probably... Some of the more well-rounded uh, anti-heroes. They're not really even, they're not even an anti-hero, but just more, they're baddies, more well-rounded. The we <laughs> yeah, the baddies. They're the most well-rounded baddies I've seen in a while. Yeah, really. yeah. And I, and I say in a while, this, this is from 50 years ago, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, I got you. So yeah, yeah, I would say it's a yay for me. All right. Okay, remember to go on our Facebook and our Instagram and comment on these movies. I always post what we're going to do ahead of time to give you a chance to, you know, give your thoughts. So yeah, go ahead and put your two cents in and we'll read them on these podcasts, right? Um, So we do have a comment for this movie from Dead City Drive-In, which our friend uh, Chris Holcomb runs. Nice. I don't know what it is about this movie. As far as 
an I Am Legend movie, I think The Last Man on Earth is better. But for the sheer gumption and 70s style, I love Omega Man. We need to see The Last Man on Earth. Maybe we'll do that one. Yeah, we should add that to our list. If you have a suggestion, that's another thing you could post to social media. Send us movie suggestions. (laughs) You know, we have a pretty limited scope, so let us know what we're missing out on. Yeah, we're always up for suggestions, but yeah, you know, the 70s style, I kind of give it a knock for that, but um, I can totally see, maybe it is an endearing thing. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I could say I've seen a ton of 70s movies. Maybe this is a thing that people like. It's a niche. You yeah. Know, like yeah. the whole 70s vibe. Yeah. That takes us to what are we going to watch next week? Okay. So our next movie, which will involve a guest podcaster. So Woo-hoo. we're super excited about that is Black Sunday. This is the 1960 movie. Um, it's an Italian Gothic horror film, mm-hmm. and by 1960 standards, it was rated TV mature. <laughs> um, but we're pretty sure, pretty confident that that um, there's kind of some gruesome gore at the beginning. It does involve a witch that was convicted as a witch and murdered by her own brother. Mm-hmm. Or not murdered by her brother, but he set things up so that she would meet her demise, mm-hmm. and then she comes back to seek her revenge. I want to say like two centuries later. Yeah. Okay, so. If you want to watch this, you can watch this on Tubi TV. That's T-U-B-I. There's an app for that. And, mm-hmm. of course, they have their own website, Tubi TV. Yeah. So and it might be other places. It might be on Amazon. I don't know. You could check it out. But it's uh, it's definitely on Tubi TV. And we do have a guest next week. So Yay! we're excited about that. Yeah. So listen in. It'll be good. It'll be awesome. I guess we'll see you guys soon. Happy movie watching. Happy movie watching. Peace, Peace out. out.